Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. What a beautiful day to inspire lives. My name is Jaime Gabriel Ragosa, your host, and I am so excited to have you here. Let's get ready to meet some fantastic unicorns and learn how to unleash the inner unicorn in you. Let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Finding the Unicorn in You. Today, I have an individual that I actually met at a Latino conference. She was amazing. She had me laughing since the beginning of the, <laughs> of the session. She actually is a laughing yoga teacher along with a social worker. She focuses a lot on mental health and she's going to talk a little bit more about herself. So I won't take the spotlight away from her. So here's Mayra Reyes. Hi. Uh, hi. Thank you so much for inviting me here. It's awesome that I get to share more about what I've done when it comes to laughter yoga and also my background in social work. A little bit about me. I am I'm in Texas. I am in South Texas. But I'm originally from Reynosa, Tamaulipas, Mexico. So I am in a border town right now. And that's the reason why my Spanish is what I use all the time. I think that even at my job, that's where I do speak the English. But when it comes to going home with my friends, I like to speak the Spanish. So that's something that I think it's awesome. And that's why my background, I was like, I need to put something that identifies who I am. <laughs> and I wanted to share more about the culture. But I, I did come from, from Mexico. I, I came to the U.S. when I was four years old. My family was divided, so I did go to Mexico back and forth from four all the way to 14. And that's when I started finding out that I wanted to go into social work. But I didn't know social work was a thing. So when I would cross a border, I would see individuals that were asking for money in the border. And I always told myself, I want to make a big house for them. And that's how the idea started. Then when I went to the university, I started with computer science. And then I went into psychology, sociology. And then that's when I found out that social work was what I was looking for the most. Due to having a scholarship, I decided to get my master's right away. I got my master's in 2010. So I was 21 when I got my master's and I've been working in the field since then. But because of my Spanish, since there's a lot of therapists that don't feel comfortable using the Spanish, I've been working as a, as a counselor since I was fresh out of grad school. And that has been where my work has been. So here in the area, I focus a lot on providing mental health services, also providing supervision to others that are looking into going into this profession. But then in 2012, that's what I found out about laughter yoga. And since then, I've been offering sessions. Then in 2013, that's when I got certified as a teacher. And I've been training others in laughter yoga. But in 2014, that's when I found out that I was having a hard time dealing with burnout at a five-month job that I had. Like with that five months that I was there, I discovered how burned out I was and how I needed to show others. So the presentation that you attended, that is a great example of what I decided to do since then. So since 2014, I said, I'm going to go around. I didn't think it was, as of now, it hasn't been the world. It has been more international, just right across the border, but then na nationwide for, for sure, where I've been uh, teaching others how to laugh and also how to incorporate their self-care and how to just get it like a refresher. If they haven't done self-care for a long time, that's where I've been trying to share with, with them as much as I can. So that was a perfect example of what I've been doing since 2014. And I continue doing it. Uh, right now I'm getting calls back and forth of people that are interested in having me go to their agencies, either connecting in person or connecting online. And uh, as in social work, we don't earn a lot of money. So this is a good revenue for me that I can bring in more income for my family. And that's really what I've been doing since then. That's amazing. And for the listeners that don't necessarily know what laughing yoga is, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I can. Of course. So laughter yoga beginning 1995 by Dr. Madan Kataria. This is coming from India. It's a practice that started with five people in a group. It was himself, his wife, and three other individuals. They started seeing that there were so many, so many benefits to laughter, but they just didn't know how it could, like how we could help our bodies. So that's when they, they were able to do a lot of research. And they discovered that even if you do a laughing through like faking it, like you, you did in the session where you just say, ha, ha, ha. And then from there, you say it again, ha, ha, ha. But then you make eye contact. Mm -hmm. You're able to make a more real and contagious laughter. So that's when that was discovered. And since then, it's been going around the world. This practice starting, like I said, with five people in a Mumbai park. Mm -hmm. And now it's being practiced in more than 100 countries in thousands of laughter clubs. I started with this in 2012, back in the, uh, where I'm at, uh, at the Rivanda Valley in Texas. There wasn't anybody doing it. And I decided to take the challenge and go for it and do it right on my own. 
And I knocked on a lot of doors. I called a lot of people. Like, can you let me show you one after yoga dance? They would ask me, what is it? And I would have to get my little notepad. Like, okay, this is what it is. Like, read it to them. Because I wasn't knowledgeable. Like, I'm, I was trained, but I wasn't practicing it so much. But that's when the boom started. Ever since then, it's a very common practice in the area. And it's something that a lot of agencies are using to be able to bring self-care to their agencies. Because it's as simple as just adding ha-ha-ha, ho-ho-ho, hee-hee-hee to everything that we're doing um, to be able to just increase those endorphins. I am a testament that it does work. That morning, I was actually very upset. I had a personal issue that occurred that morning. Oh, and wow. I, I, I was livid. So I walked in. My coworkers were like, you need to calm down. And I was like, yeah. But I was like, just quiet, just to myself. I was really upset. You started with the presentation and making us laugh. And at first I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and then I started doing it. And then I started feeling better. And by the end of the session, I was like laughing genuinely. And I had forgot all about the issue that I had. And there was one one particular session where you're like, if you're angry about something, I need you to like carry the anger and laugh at it. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> So not even knowing you were dealing with that, I was already going, you see, that's a perfect example. I've, honestly, I believe in a lot in destiny. Like we just don't know why we're doing things for the reasons. And then later on, we find out you're one of the few people that are telling me right now, but that have expressed this. Not everybody tells me, but some people tell me, you just don't know how bad I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And then go into your session. You made a big impact. I do it because I feel that it's good to share what has worked for me. Mm -hmm. But then knowing that it worked for you, it even makes my job a lot easier to continue doing it more and more. Mm -hmm. And that's really what leads me to do it more. Back in 2012, I was told not to do it. Uh, they told me, you know, one specific person that is no longer in my life told me, you shouldn't do this. This is not worth it. This is a lot of work extra from you. And it is because mm -hmm. I, I was working as a counselor. I was, this is like other duties of a sign and I didn't have to do it. Nobody else was doing it. But I, I felt that after every session, something would motivate me to do it again and to do it again. And then in 2013, people started telling me, you need to get certified as a teacher. Back then, trainings were all in person. So then in order for, for us, like I had to go from McAllen, which is like five, five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes from the border, all the way to Dallas, which is about 10 hours north, to be able to get certified as a leader. Oh, wow. And when they told me, well, you can get certified as a teacher, come back and bring it so that we can certify others. I said, well, yeah, but it's very expensive. It, it, like the whole training, uh, just to get certified, it was like maybe uh, how many times more? Three times more than what I paid to get certified as a leader. So I said, really, how am I going to do that? And then I have to go in person to another part, wherever Dr. Kataya was a founder, where he was going to be training people. I said, that's not even an idea that I can go through. But um, unfortunately, working for a nonprofit, you were able, at, at times you need to get rid of all the money, all the funding. So when I decided to ask, okay, so what would it take for me to get certified? They told me there was a lot of funding available. And that's what led me to get certified as a teacher. They just told me that I needed to find money for my hotel and my meals. So I did a raffle. That's where I brought in my social perspective. I said, hey, I know a lot of people in my community. Might as well and get my contacts ready to help me with this raffle. So that's what I did. I called at least six people. They either gave me a gift card, a massage, uh, like some type of item that they bought at the store. And I was able to do this raffle. So with this raffle, I was able to travel to Orlando and get certified by Dr. Kataria. Once I got back, we I've been certifying people ever since, since 2013. I've been certifying over 120 people now. I'm getting ready to offer another training in a couple of weeks. And that's going to be for at least 20 people that I'm going to certify. So these are people from housewives, from caretakers, all the way to psychiatrists, doctors, law enforcement officers, a variety of professions that are seeing how effective this can be. Once they're certified, they can then kind of start their own practice with that and continue like teaching. Like um, they can teach run their classes. business. They can run their business. Other people around the world are able to live out of this for 100%. Like they're able to just have laughter yoga as their own thing. I do this on a 20% uh, of my time because mm -hmm. I... I work somewhere else. I teach for the university for uh, the University of Texas River Valley. That's where I serve as a clinical associate professor. And then I also work with our online students. So really that's my full-time job. This is just like 20% of what I do. And that's why I'm being a little bit more picky on what I accept and what I don't because I have my full-time job to take care of. But because of all the people that I've been certifying, I've been able to call them. Yeah, I have a session in your area. Are you interested? They're going to pay you this amount. 
oh, sure, that's fine. So that's where I develop my network of people that I can call. And because they've been trained by me, that's what I tell the agency, like, don't worry about it. I know what they got. I know they've got the good training because they went through my two-day training. So it works out for them. Looks like you are a teacher in one aspect and a teacher in another. Do you incorporate laughter yoga into your into the university, into the curriculum that you, t- you teach as well? I do and I don't. And I, let me tell you why. I teach for social work students that are finishing their master's in social work. They're going to be clinicians. are going to be working, doing direct practice in the community. I don't do laughter yoga all the time. I, but I feel that how laughter yoga has impacted my life, that is how I'm able to bring them the, that type of, let's say, being able to be calm whenever they have issues, being able to understand them a little bit better. Whenever I'm going through my personal issues, I'm able to detach from them and be able to give my students 100% of, my, of me, of who I am. I've seen so many people in our profession that are checked out already. They're burned out. They have a lot of personal issues going on that they're not able to give that back to, the, to their students or to whoever their population, whoever they're working with. So I think that laughter yoga has helped me in that sense. Yet I do incorporate laughter yoga as my last class with them because I teach online. So I'm able to see them on Teams, on Zoom, like to even have that interaction. So I do incorporate at least a 20-minute session with them so they can go out and just see the benefits that it can have on there. But then uh, how I become both a social worker and a teacher. And that's why I don't know if you saw my little business card and says that I've been social worker on my social media too. But that's that's the reason why. Because people know me as a social worker, but when I incorporate laughter, because they always see a social worker in me. They never see the laughter yoga piece. Because I'm serious. I'm not serious, but I'm just me. But now when I make them laugh and whenever they like my session or they want to get me like to hire me, they're asking people, where's that laughing social worker? And I'm like, okay, might as well just make that my my name. But, but yeah, so then I, I also teach when it comes to life issues. I teach my, the future social workers because I look at the whole picture. And this is how a lot of professors tell their students, look at it this way. Whenever you're getting ready to be a social worker, look at it in the future. Let's say five years from now, if your family member is going to a hospital, your family member is going through a psychotic episode, what social worker do you want for them to have? The one that's well, well prepared, the ones that's trained, the one that knows how to deal with their stuff or the one that's checked out and burned out. And that's how I see it. That's how I teach what I've gathered through after yoga, along with what I need to teach my students when it comes to social work. And that's what I tell my my case managers all the time. So I work in non-clinical case management and I've been doing this for several years. And one of the biggest things is secondhand trauma the, the, that you start getting very burnt out from compassion fatigue from your clients yes. because they're going through a lot. You start to internalize that. And I say you can't help somebody unless you help yourself first. You have to go through therapy yourself. You have to make sure that your mental mm-hmm. health is good. Try to avoid burnout, compassion fatigue. And mm-hmm. tools like this is super important because mm-hmm. it makes better caseworkers. It makes better social workers and human mm-hmm. service workers. I think what you're doing is amazing and the, what you're preaching mm-hmm. is wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. And I and I think that also my personality helps a lot. And this is what people tell me. How can you deal with your own problems and be able to make others laugh? And why? Because I honestly, before every session, I have to step back and remind myself, whatever my struggles are, I don't need to bring into my audience because I just don't know, like in your situation, you're a perfect example of that. What if I'm that burned out social worker, burned out laughter yoga teacher that goes into a session and doesn't do it 100% because she's dealing with her own problems. So like, I, I think I, I said it in your session, how I dealt with three losses and they, they were big, big losses. And I thank Naftri Yoga for helping me deal with my struggles, deal with my life issues and be able to put a good face to other people. Don't get me wrong. There are some times that I break down. I, I'm in my bed and I'm just crying and crying and that's okay. I allow myself to do that. Of course, I get up and I start again, or I call my socials, my support system. I get into maybe seeing my girls, like I find ways to be able to get out of there. But there's many people that try to be very tough and very strong. And that's okay up to a certain point, because we always need to realize that we're humans. And that's what I tell my clients. My clients tell me, and I also practice in the community. I focus on assisting domestic violence uh, survivors. And that that is like 10% of my job, but I don't want to lose that because I feel that I need to give back to a lot of individuals that are struggling at how I have struggled at some point as well. So then what, um, what I tell my clients is like, right now you're in that side of the chair. Right now I'm the therapist and you're the client. But I've also been a client. I've also been in your situation. And that's okay because we're human, we're alive. 
So that reduces a little bit of the stigma because, as you know, the stigma is out there. Even though COVID has allowed to reduce a little bit of the stigma, having this more as an okay thing to go to therapy, but it's still, we're not there where we want to be. We're just anybody, you and I, we have issues. Okay, let's go to counseling. It's not as easy as that yet because even with my own uh, colleagues, my own professional friends, I tell them, you're struggling a lot. Go and seek help. And honestly, I don't tell them if I know they're going to take it wrong. But if I see that they're borderline, where they're not being effective to us as a friend or to the, their clients, then I need to say something. Because I wouldn't want, like I said, a family member to go up to them and they're not able to get a good treatment because they're dealing with your own struggles. Exactly. And even myself, I've been in the social work field for a long time. I, I went through a two-year domestic violent relationship where I was okay. a victim. And it was very intense, very severe. Like I was hospitalized twice. and I still, me knowing, and I even was in class studying domestic violence in the household, and I refused to go to therapy. Of and course. so even if you know about it, because you're like, I, it's not me. That cannot be me. You know, I'm mm -hmm. studying about it. But then statistics show that individuals that know of the topic are more likely to be in it because then they don't, <laughs> they don't want to accept the fact that they could be that person. You know, they're part mm -hmm. of the statistic. And it's really hard. And even now, especially in the Latinx community, so many people just stigmatize it as, you know, yeah. you know, soy loco. I'm not, that's not part of, mm -hmm. that's, that cannot be me. I can, I can deal it myself. Soy fuerte, pero every, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. Yeah. It's okay to get help. Yes. And, and I agree. And honestly, this is the first time that I'm going to make it public and I'm okay with it now. Uh, accepting that I was in a domestic violence situation. It took me 10 years, 15 years. So finally, I said that this is my struggle, but I didn't want to accept it because when, when people knew that I was going through this change in my life, people started questioning me, but why you? You're a clinical social worker. You're helping others. I've always dealt with trauma. I've always dealt with, uh, since I had my first grad, uh, job out of grad school in 2010, that was my population that I was focusing on. But I never saw it, like you said, and I think it's more unconsciously that we don't want to see it. We put it like in our brain, it's like back there because it's so hard for us to accept that we're going through that. And it just took me, uh, how many, two weeks ago that I went to a presentation. It was actually an equity conference. And I just went to talk about laughter yoga, nothing else. But when I was up there as a panelist, they asked that if anybody could answer the question, what is, does it really take a lot for a person to leave a domestic violence situation? So when I turned around, the other panelists, none of them had a background like I did. So guess who had to answer the question? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like it's going to have to be me. So when I answered the question, the audience doesn't know, but I was talking about my life and what I finally accepted that I was in, in a situation of very difficult, a professional, earning really well. Like I was in that situation just a few, a few months ago, but I was able to finally like find closure for myself and the audience had no clue about it. They just felt that I was talking as a therapist. And telling them how they can get out of there and in the same struggle. But that's what it is. And then honestly, I want to do more research on this, on why Armenia Ross is st stuck in situations like that, that we know the resources, we know the signs, know the symptoms, but we don't get out of it. And that's what I want to continue bringing up more. And, and then I was in Seattle just two weeks ago. And this is the first time that I talk about domestic violence in a laughter yoga uh, presentation. And when I did that, at the end of the session, at least three social workers came up to me and they said, hey, I'm, I'm in your same shoes right now. Can you help me more? And it ended up that when we went to have dinner, I was going to go with other of my colleagues and we ended up at the same place. So we were hanging out for two days and it was awesome because now we, we formed this little network of social workers that are struggling or have struggled through situations that are very similar, just like you share with me right now. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that. That's that's very brave of you. and. I think the more we talk about it, the more people will spread the knowledge and mm -hmm. seeing that it's something that happens to all of us. It doesn't make us weak. It doesn't make us mm -hmm. lesser of a person. And it can happen to absolutely anyone. Mm -hmm. And it does affect you need to get help because it does affect your future relationships as it much does. as. And that, that's when I started realizing that I had trust issues. I would win sometimes like I would have like triggers when people would do mm -hmm. something with me. I wasn't allowing myself to be touched. It's very intense emotions. And. Mm -hmm. Same as you, I usually don't never talk about this, but I, I was put in a situation where I had a caseworker that came up to me and they're like, there's this client that's going through domestic violence and I don't know how to reach out to her. Can you please come to our session? 
So I went to I went to support her and we're there and she's talking. She's like, nobody understands me. You don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it's because and I was like, well, do you feel like this? Did you mm-hmm. feel like this? Like, do you feel that you're you're not able to get out because he might follow you somewhere or he mm-hmm. might he has you tracked because he's financially controlling your situation? She's like, yeah, how do you know that? And I was like, because that's how my partner was with me. And we started bonding. And then I helped this individual get the courage to get into a shelter, to get to get out of that relationship, to get the restraining order and to do that because it's it's horrendous when you are in that situation you, and it's like that learned hopelessness that you yes. feel that you're not worth anything, that you mm-hmm. feel that that person is essentially your every. It's it's really scary how you feel that person's your everything, but then that, that's the person that you're scared of the most. Yeah. And honestly, like my therapist is going to be so happy that I'm doing this. But just three weeks ago, when I started therapy with this other therapist, he told me, have you downloaded the power and control wheel? I was like, I do that with my clients. He's like, have you done it for yourself? And I'm like, oh, no. He's like, well, do it for yourself. And when I did that, I looked at it. I was like, wow, like this is what I've been going through. But of course, you, and it has a lot to do with our culture too. That's where I, I was able to connect to our culture. How our culture says we don't talk about our problems. We don't talk about our struggles, in, especially in a marriage. But I did everything that I've done so far. I've been for my girls. And that's that's really what leads me to continue doing what I'm doing for them. Because I, they're females as well. So I have two daughters and I look at them. I don't want them to go through the same thing that I did, thinking that it's okay to accept it. I call it the modern social work. I'm sorry, the modern domestic violence. Modern because you don't know that you're living it and you're living it because you compare yourself to the traditional domestic violence symptoms or the, the signs and they're totally different. But at the end, it's power and control. Like, you know, at the end, it all connects to that. And I think that's something that, that it's good to educate others because I'm, I'm a therapist. Like, I try not to talk too much. And like, in this, in this form, I'm, I'm happy about it. And thank you for allowing me. But I do, like, whenever I go and present on that topic, I talk about it in general. And they don't have to know it's me. But it's whenever that somebody comes to me and I feel comfortable sharing, oh, I've been through that. then of course, I will open up. But honestly, when I, when I decided to go through that process of making that big life change, I did it because I saw other social workers that had gone through that struggle as well. So when I went through my struggle, at least three people have, have opened up to me. I'm going through the same thing as you. Can you help me out? I like how I see you happy. Like, honestly, I've been the happiest I can say in the past year, year and a half when I make this life change. I've been traveling so much. I've been meeting wonderful people like you. Like, it has opened up this idea that I never thought. I always thought I was social. I always thought I was a social butterfly. But now it's like, I don't even know what's more than a butterfly because I'm just out there. I'm a unicorn. Like I'm out there and I'm just talking to people, getting to know people, feel more comfortable with myself and, and able to share more about who I am. Because I don't have that voice telling me anymore. You need to keep it down. You need to keep it quiet because you shouldn't be sharing what's happening in the home or sharing what struggles you're dealing with i'm like no it's okay i don't mind and some just recently uh, i i just um celebrated my one year out and uh one of my friends told me can you share a little bit more what you're dealing with i don't want to get into your business but i see you're doing well like how did you decide that you had to make that change so i told her i'm an open book now like if if it's going to help you to be able to get through a better relationship, get out of a relationship, to be able to go and be yourself, get to know you, I don't mind doing that. So I'm in that point now where it's like, it's an open book, whatever you want to ask, I'm here because this is what's going to help you do a better future for you and your family. Why not? Yeah. And I think we sidetracked a lot. (laughs) A little bit, but I think this is really good stuff and it's things that we need to talk about. And just Mm -hmm. one last last thing on on this topic before I switch over is if if you talk about it, you like you said, you help people and you help um, them be able to really understand the concept and even if they're going through it themselves. So for me, the first time I talked about it was with my mom and my sister. Okay. They they really liked this guy that I was dating and they were really, uh-huh. oh wow, you guys are gonna get married. You guys are gonna, you know, it's it's the best relationship. But it was all like in, in the public, we were presenting ourselves as very happy, very mm-hmm. social, like the perfect relationship, but behind closed doors is when everything happened. Yeah. And the reason we broke up is because he held me at at knife point, like where he was he said oh, wow. if if we were it was something very simple that I was siding with a friend and an argument. And 
we went home and he said, I can't believe that you didn't defend me. Like, this is not appropriate. Like, you know, I, you always have to agree with me no matter what, like you have to be my support system. And he got very upset and he got a knife and he pulled it up to my neck. And he said, this, let this be the last time that you do something like this. If not, I will end both of our lives. And it was just like, okay. So he went to the shower and he would always hide the keys and always hide everything. So I Mm -hmm. just, but like I, I was like searching through everything, found the keys of my car. I ran out and I went to my friends and I stayed there for like about two weeks. Um, the, the cops were called, restraining orders and everything was happened. Mm-hmm. He was taken out of my life. I had to tell my my mom and my sister. So I, I came up to them and told them and I was telling them what I went through with everything. And they were in disbelief. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that my mom was going through the same thing with her partner. Oh, wow. And then my sister was going through a similar thing with her partner. And she's like, I didn't know that 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 this is called domestic violence. I didn't know that this is something that's out of the normal. Mm -hmm. So it really broke my heart. But at the same time, it made me happy that because of what I went through, I was able to help two more people that were really close to me. Yes. And we all got out of it at the same time. Nice. And it's just, it's, it's amazing how you don't know, you, you can be surrounded by your friends and family and you just don't know because we don't talk about it. Yes, I agree with that. And and again, it's a stigma. It's a whole culture thing that, Honestly, I, I see a lot of the machismo here with that, that because we're in, in this environment that we cannot talk about, we cannot say it because it all stays behind closed doors, like you said. And that's the same struggle that I went through. I, and I feel that one day I'm going to be able to say more of what I went through once my girls are older, because I don't want them, I don't want anybody to be against their father. You know, I, that's not my role in, in talking about it here. My role is to help others. If there's others that are struggling, that they think that it's normal to feel this way, that it's okay to be, to have you question, is it my fault? Is it not my fault? Am I able to do more or not? But then you get out and you're like, oh my God, I have so much potential. Like you have so much, and I'm sure you've gone through that now, where you can see all these wonderful things that are out there that we were just focusing on the, whatever we were told to focus on. But now it's like, oh my God, the world is there. Yes, the world may not be pink. And it's not going to be, because that's what I was always told. The world is not pink. There's always these this black things or every, bad, bad things that are going to happen or are going to be happening. And I get it. But if you're able to focus on the pink parts of the world, you're able to be more successful and be able to focus on the good things. But that's, that's how I, I feel that sharing about this, being able to be more open about it, especially with other professionals. I, I, and that's what I was talking in the last conference that I was in, that we forget about our own people. We are so used to helping and helping others and helping those that have no knowledge, no education when it comes to what is domestic violence, or we forget about our own, that we do know what it is. We forget about telling them, hey, that, that's not okay for them to be tracking you, to see where you're at, uh, to see if you, who you're talking to, is that really your colleague or not? But we, we also face that struggle. I've been working with a lot of law enforcement officers and I, I see this a lot. Oh, I cannot go because my partner is checking up on me to see if, she, if I am in the right place. Like they're tracking me. And I'm like, dude, like you were an law enforcement officer. How can you be allowing that? Well, it's okay. It's okay. I just want to keep it down. So those are things that, that and that's why I was t- talking to a colleague that we forget about our own, our own professionals and we forget about the kids that are also struggling through that. Because then our kids think that it's okay to be in a situation like that. And it's okay that, that they have to be sharing their location because their partner is, is uh, angry about where they're at. Why are they not answering? But really, it's not okay. And we forget about that. So I think the more education that we do, the more we share. And I'm glad that your family was able to support you and that you supported them. And the three of you, I'm sure you guys are, are a lot stronger together and maybe a lot closer together because of the situation. Yes. And it definitely mended a lot of like relationship between us and it made it stronger. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. This is the whole point of this. Really show people that are unicorns like yourself that are not only successful in their career, but they've also gone through certain things that help them move forward. And in case somebody is interested in getting into social work, what advice or tips would you say that they can do to kind of get started? Well, when it comes to social work, social work is a very broad profession and you can help Anybody from a mental health uh, aspect to domestic violence, uh, working with veterans, working with homeless population, like there's so many things that you can do. But the first thing is to get yourself into an intro to social work course. That's what I always tell people. I used to work for a community college before this job with the university. 
And that's what I would tell people. If you're interested in social work, go into an Intro to Social Work course. And in that course, they're going to ask you to interview a social worker. Find that social worker that you see yourself being five years from now, 10 years from now. And then from there, that's going to tell you, is this a profession that I'm looking for? And if it is, now, once you're working, let's say at a case management level, you've got your bachelor's in social work, or you do, you're an assistant to a case manager because you're an associate, you're working with your population and you're like, I want to do more for them. I feel that I can, my hands are tied because I can only give them resources, but I want to give them more feedback, more mental, health, more guidance. Then that's when you need to go for your master's. So that's how I like to word it. Like, how much do you want to do for them? And that's really what led me to this profession. I'm one of the youngest uh, here in the area that has this, this license and this background because I went to school for my bachelor's. I did it in three years and I had a scholarship. So I said, why not get my master's in one year? Like I was just going with the flow. Like, let's just see what happens. And then once I was in my master's, I was going for the macro because I was scared to talk to people like this individually. But when I was in the macro, I was two classes in and they heard me speak Spanish. And my professors told me there's a scholarship that is available only for Spanish speaking students. Like you have to know Spanish 100%. Are you interested? And I said, okay, like a full right scholarship. Why not? Like, of course. I was the first one to get a master's degree in my family. So then we don't have the money to be able to pay for a master's. I was going to get a loan. So they say you can get it and you just have to interview in Spanish. Your NC has to be in Spanish and, and everything talking, everything's going to have, it's going to have to be in Spanish. So then I decided to move from macro to micro. Once I was there, uh, then my first job was working as a Spanish speaking counselor. And then from there, I just thought that's where I needed to be. Like I went with the flow for money and then because I wanted a master's. But now that I'm out here, I can see that this is what I like. This is what I love to do. And that's why people, whenever they ask me, like, would you switch social work for anything else? I wouldn't. Like if I was to get another degree, it would be my doctorate in social work. And just because I want to get more education. But when it comes to what I have, I love what I do because I'm able to show other professionals, still work with clients, and guide them either in a consulting phase in more of working directly with helping them survive, you know, getting out of a depressive episode, domestic violence episode, whatever it is they're, they're dealing with. So that's really my biggest advice. Start asking other social workers what is it that they do, but they know that our profession is so broad that if I get bored, let's say right now I'm teaching and I'm doing after yoga. One day I said, you know what? I don't want to deal with people at all. I want to do more administration then I go and apply at a job where I can do grant writing or I can do more research and that's it. So that's a flexibility about social work, that you get to go into different professions or different areas of practice, but at the same time, you're going to be using what you were taught in the profession. It's just the world's your oyster. You can do so many different things and at different levels. And I think what deters a lot of people is that they think, I want to do social work, but I have to get my master's degree. And I was like, no, you can get it at every different levels. You can start it with your associate's degree, even with your mm -hmm. high school diploma sometimes, mm -hmm. your bachelor's degree. And then, however, it is very addicting. I do have to say that. So once you what get you in, <laughs> when, once you start, because social work gives you two paychecks, one that's going to pay okay. your bill and one that's going to pay your heart. And that second paycheck. That's awesome. I, hadn't, I, I know it, but I hadn't seen it that way. But that is so true. And then that second one is so rich and it makes you feel so good about yourself and good that you're helping people. And sometimes you don't see the immediate response of what you're doing, but it's for me, it's those chills that I get years later when I'm just walking down the street or in, in the marketplace and somebody says, hi, May, how's it going? And I was like, hi, just like, no, like what does it mean? Like, you know, uh, I used to be your client. You helped me with this and that. And I was like, oh, wow. Like for me, my biggest realization was I was in L.A. I used to be a homeless service case manager with okay. and I used to help clients get homes and whatnot. And I was just at. I was I was shopping at a Whole Foods, I believe, and then I bumped into an individual that I had worked with, and she was on the street for 30 years. She mm -hmm. was really struggling, had a really bad drug addiction, and was um, jobless. And when I when I worked with her, I worked with her for two years. I got her a job at like a laundromat, and I got I was able to get her a low income apartment. And now she she says I'm married now. I have like a full time job. I'm actually the owner of the of the laundromat. Um, passed away and left me the laundromat. So now I am the owner of the laundromat. She's like, I am successful. I have like, we're thinking of adopting a kid. And she's like, I would have not been able to do that if it wasn't for you. Oh, and I was just like, God. you don't see how much of an impact yeah. you leave on people until yeah. sometimes years later. Yeah. So, 
it's it's an amazing career and definitely that's what I mean when it's addicting. <laughs> it is. It, it is addictive. And honestly, I, I I don't do this for recognition. That's what I tell people. I, I do look at a lot of people out there in the media and they're like, oh, I just I, I did this. I did that. I don't. I don't. And, and honestly, for the money, we don't do it for the money. I'm now blessed to be at a very good income where I can say I can support my daughters. I can get them anything they want. I finally am able to say that 12 years later. But I think that, that the losses that I, I had throughout my life recently were able to lead me to this. But I before, I would do it to help. I would do it to help. Like when I started with Dr. Yoga in 2012, I was doing it as the other duties as applied. You know, it wasn't because it was part of my job description. Others, there was four of us in the same position. Nobody was doing this. But I was doing it and I knew it would take more. And then from there, I got hired at another job and I would still do it. And I wouldn't get recognized for it. I wouldn't get paid for it. Everybody wanted credit for it. Like my superiors, because, oh, we have the laughter yoga lady here. But what, did I ever get a stipend for doing that? Never. But now I can see the benefits. Like I tell you, like, I'm not lying. Every week, at least I get two people to at least ask, how, how can I get you to my job? How can I get certified? And out of those that I get, maybe one or two give in and they contract me right away. Or they leave and they come back months later and they're like, now I'm ready. Now I have the money. But it is something that I never thought. I always did it because it was out of my heart. And now I can see the recognition when it comes to financially. And I'm glad that I didn't listen to that person in 2012 that told me, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it because it's not going to give you anything. Now, 10 years later, I give credit to a lot of my support system that I encountered in the past two years. During this past two years, and it's been a very big struggle. Some of my, uh, my, uh, my friends, uh, they've been telling me, you cannot stop. Like, if this is what's helping you financially, but then at the same time, your community, why stop? And I, and I see it. Like, 10 years later, I thank people. Like, I have had a really good mentor that, that the, the mentorship that I'm provided is you can get a business out of this. Maybe it's not going to be where you're going to be rich. I know. But at least you can sell yourself. Like, sell the services that you provide. Don't just be going and doing it for free. And like that is something that I was never used to because it was always like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But now I get somebody tells me, oh yeah, I can even do a logo for you. And I can help you when it comes to maybe some words that you can say when you're getting interviewed to be able to see if you can sell, you know, the, the sessions that you are, that you're focusing on providing. And I've seen a big difference in that, just how we change the mindset, but also the people around us and be able to have that support system. And the support system is a big foundation in social work. And this is what I always, whenever I go and present on mental health and self-care, I try to put this out there. Build your support system. And this is, could be for audience right now. Like try to identify two to three people or agencies that you can call whenever you're struggling. That way you can either put it on your phone, put it in your room somewhere where it's visible for you for whenever you're struggling. Or you don't know what to do because you reach capacity where you just think that it's so hard for you to handle those challenges. Look into that list of your support system. What can you call? Who can you ask for advice? And that's going to be a big turnaround for you because you're going to have that knowledge that you've been, or knowledge, but that support that you've been looking for. And this is where your support system is. So I think building a support system is a really good thing to do. I agree. And you said a lot of good unicorn qualities there. So like having a support system, being able to say yes when people are telling you no. So for you, in your opinion, what are some other unicorn qualities that help people succeed and become better? Be persistent. Believe in what you feel that is going to help you, but then it's also going to help others. Like back then, 2012, just with one session that I did, I saw people liked it. And then from there, I went to another one because from April to September, I was calling people left and right. You want me to go to your agency? What is after you? I don't know, but I'll show you when I get there because I needed to practice. <laughs> and then from there in September, I got my first paid session. I was like, wow, pe pe people are believing in me. Like someone is actually seeing that this is real. And then from there, it just went out on its own. But it was being persistent, going against the wave. And that's what I do a lot in all my jobs. I usually go against the wave. But it's to make a good impact. I don't do it in a way where I want to be a rebel, even though I've also been told that I'm the rebel social worker. <laughs> I have one I should show it to you. And I've been told that I'm a rebel social worker, but it's not about being a rebellious person. It's just about advocating for what you believe, but then also being persistent with what you think it's going to help others. 
And then from there, just take it on, like being able to allow yourself to be you. I've been in supervisor positions for about 10 to 12 years now, but I've always been the person that I showed you in that that session. I've always been that same person because I don't believe that you have to be a very strict, a very cold person, a very just cold-hearted, like not not understanding issues, either as a teacher or as a supervisor. I've always believed that you have to understand, put yourself in your own employer's shoes. Like, who are, who are these employees that you're working with? Are they also clinicians like you? Are these social workers like you? So why be mean with them when you know you've been in their shoes before or when you're having your own struggles? Like, honestly, changing jobs for me was a reason why I decided that it was the time for it because I was feeling burned out. I was feeling that I wasn't myself anymore. But it, it had a lot to do with my losses. It had a lot to do with my life that I was struggling with. But that led me to where I'm at now. Just This just changed this year. I just left my other job in February. I started my new job in March. And I've seen that my life has changed, has shifted so much. Because I was, I was able to realize where I wasn't functioning anymore. I needed to make a change in the sense where I needed to provide back to the community in a different perspective which is being now a professor and being able to teach others and getting them ready for, for their workforce, but also knowing that it was time for me to leave an environment that wasn't helping me anymore. That's very strong because it's really hard. We get so used to and so accustomed to do what, the consistency mm-hmm. of the mundane of like the, the, the job. And it takes a lot of strength for you to say, mm-hmm. you know what, I am done and I want to move into the next step of my life. It so, was very what- scary. I remember I would cry <laughs> a lot and I would tell my friends, and my friends laugh with me now that how last year I was scared about leaving an envi- a home environment and then leaving a job, just apply for another job. It was so scary because you're used to the same, like you said, consistency, the same routine. Everything's already getting paid for. You you know what's working, what's not working. And then transitioning into being a, a single mom, having to lead my girls was like, okay, what if I change jobs and I don't like it? What if it's not true what they're telling me that I'm going to get paid more? Like, what, what if it goes bad? But honestly, facing those fears led me to meet so many people now where I can say this was a best choice. Like for since June of last year that I started making life cho- changes and choices, I've been, I cannot say, say I want to go back and undo a choice that I made. Like I cannot, I don't regret any of the choices that I made so far. It's been awesome. <laughs> that's really good and it sounds like you're doing amazing work and you're doing you're doing amazing yourself <laughs> what do you believe makes you a unicorn that i'm myself that, that I'm, I'm me i'm me with my friends i'm me with my coworkers. like yesterday i went to a wedding by myself i've never done that because i'm like no if i'm if i don't have anybody to go to i'm not gonna go what am i gonna do there even those co-workers but at some point i was by myself in the table because people were with their partners they were with their kids and i was there alone but what I decided to do is that I went to the 360 pictures or videos that they do. And I'm like, you know what? This is my time to shine. There's nobody <laughs> with me. So I was there. I didn't even know there was a song connected to it. I just stayed there and I was like making funny moves. And then at the end, I, I see my video and I'm like, wow, like this is awesome. But doing a lot of being yourself and not allowing society to get in the way. Because also be, before a year ago, I always felt that I needed to be with either along with somebody, with a friend, with a co-worker with a family member to be able to enjoy life and when I actually when I met you I talked about how I went to the Alejandro Fernandez concert by myself I would have never thought I would do that because you always get used to doing things with others so that doing that going to a restaurant alone once before I had got to the movies alone and then I'll go into a wedding alone like all these things that I never thought I could so it's just being a unicorn I think has a lot to do with allowing yourself to be you always remember your professionalism of course if I am in a professional meeting and I see that everybody is very quiet and, and just being professional, then I'll be, I'll be able to mold to them. But the moment I get out, I'm going to be myself again because you cannot just stop being who you are because of other people around you. And you saw it in that presentation. And I feel bad later how this individual said, my humor, my way of laughing has a lot to do with my partner. And that's why I said, well, I got out of mind to be able to be me. But in the reality, that's how it is. We are with somebody and we're just people around us that don't allow us to be ourselves. So by not allowing us to be ourselves, we don't know how much potential we have in our personal life. We don't know how much potential we have in our professional life. We don't know maybe we can be that supervisor we've always wanted to be, 
But we always thought that we had to be at this level because that's what other people around us told us. But when you start removing those people from your surroundings, you're, and you incorporate people that are actually motivating you, getting you that help that may, oh, I don't know how to do a logo. Hey, I'll do it for you. I don't know how to charge. Uh, let's, let's plan it out. How much can you charge? What is the rate for other people? Like two years ago in 2020, I had to sign up on a contract and I thought I, I was worth this amount. And then my, my, my coworker told me, you're worth this amount. And I'm like, no, I can't. So I tried. I said, I'm going to go to this meeting very uh, confident that I'm worth this. And then they're like, well, we cannot give you that. So then I said, okay, well, let's go halfway. I could have settled with what I thought I was worth. So at the end, we ended up settling with the middle. Like it wasn't not yours because you're a nonprofit. You don't have the budget, but I'm not going to settle to the minimum because I'm worth more. So like those people is what you need. That's what you need in your life to be able to continue being who you are and continue providing to your community. Yes, I agree. And this actually goes right into my next question. Who are the unicorns in your life that have helped shape you? First of all, it's my, my family. When it comes to my dad, my dad passed away last year. He was one of my biggest, biggest support system. He was one of my, my three losses. And he always, even though he lived in Mexico, I lived here, but I would see him every weekend. He would always t- tell me about education. Education, you need education in your life. You need it. I had so many dark moments in my teenage years. I stopped believing in God. I stopped believing in family. I stopped believing in so many things. But my dad always told me, education is going to get you out of this. Every time he would tell me that. He said he was a teacher in Mexico. But that, those words is what motivated me to continue finding worth in my life, to continue finding a meaning in my life. And then now he passes away in August. So it was very difficult for me because I was finally going to be able to see him more often because I had a lot of barriers that wouldn't allow me to see him. And I was finally going to see him more. And then he passes away. And I was like, oh my God, like my life is done here too. But what I decided to do instead is turn that grief or that loss into more productive. So two months later, I hear about this position coming up. And then when I got the position at the beginning of the year, I changed my last name. So now I'm like, my legacy is his last name. So in Mexico, he was called Professor Reyes. So then now that I'm working at this, in this institution, I'm Professor Reyes. And I'm like, wow. Like, like he's the, the main one that I could say that got allowed me and helped me through. And now, even though he's not here, but a lot of the things that I've been doing, I always talk to him and I thank him. And I'm like, thank you for getting me to get my education. Because if it wasn't for my education, I think that I would still be in a very disturbing environment uh, when it comes to my relationship. Because I would have probably given in to not working, being a full-time mom, being a housewife, but I decided not to go with that. And then uh, besides that, along the way in this past year, I've built so many relationships that I've had, like I said, this, this friend that it's all the time. What do you need? Like, I'm like, I'm coming up with this idea. Okay, well, let's talk about it. What can you do differently? Or how can you ask for more. And then if they don't give you more, but at least bring it down a little bit. Okay. Or what do you need a logo? What do you need a social media page? Like having that support, but also having other people that I can go to. I have people that if I'm feeling sad because I'm a single mom, I can call. If I am feeling sad because I'm working as a professional, I'm not getting paid as much. I call my other colleagues and in the same profession. Like you, you build this support system. But I think the biggest one is my dad. Like he's the one that I could give a lot of credit to. But then people that I met in this past year, but also being able to remove those that were not allowing me to be a unicorn. They were holding me back and were telling me, no, you're okay with just being at the minimum. Or all these chismes and all these gossip that was going on, I decided to just get, get rid of them. Like get, put them aside, not having them in my support system anymore or in my, even my social media. I got rid of a lot of those, a lot of those people that don't deserve to see my happiness because they were not supported along the way. Said is very beautiful. You need a, a great support system, your friends, and it's okay not to have one person to be your everything. I think it's mm-hmm. too much pressure. So divide that into several people yes. where you have your, your work friends over here talk about work. You have your relationship friends. You have your, your career friends and different things to help you out. And I think that's what makes you successful. Well, this has been such a pleasure. I learned so much about you and this was an amazing, amazing, amazing. Like, I think I benefited for going on your workshop from you. Like, I just, you're very, your personality is very contagious and I love your energy. And um, (laughs) so if our listeners want to follow you and your career, where can they do that? 
I'll give you my link so you can add them. But the one that I've been using the most has been, has been Instagram, which is the Latin social worker, or on Facebook with my name, Mayra Leticia Reyes. And that's a public Facebook. They can follow me or they can add me as a friend. Uh, and then my numbers are there as well. Either of them, my, my business number is there. So any questions that they may have, either when it comes to social work as a profession, after yoga, or any guidance when it comes to domestic violence, how to get out of an environment, I can guide them a little bit, but then I would like to connect them to a resource that's going to guide them to everything that they need. But anything else after yoga, I'm available internationally. And then when it comes to social work nationally, because our university does provide our, our support for any student that wants to enroll, then it's from the nation, even internationally as well. But mainly we focus on the, country, the whole country. And for everybody who's listening, just make sure, try laughing yoga at least once. Sign up with Maida. Go sign up for a class and then try it once. It will change your life, honestly. It's a, diff- it's a good tool to have to put in your belt when things are going tough. So yes. if you're thinking about it, considering about it, do it. Can we end with a laugh? You yes. say ha ha ha. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so let's just do ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. And then we do it at the same time. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. This is the first time that I do anything like this and that I open up to my own struggles. And I, and I really, I think it's going to help at least one person that's going to be listening or they may be able to identify, but if it's more, even better. Or even if anything that we discuss, if you know of somebody is struggling with that, mm-hmm. tell them that there is hope. There is all these wonderful things you can get from a loss or from a very difficult situation, you can turn it around and, and make it a better one for you to keep on. And just then from there, you teach others on how they can get better as well. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. And thank you so much for coming and taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here. And for every, anybody who's interested, like I said, go ahead and um, follow my, Maida and on her socials and sign up for a class. And as always, episodes come out every Friday at 7. And until next time, thank you, everyone. 